action. Welcome to Torn Stubbs, the Trash Movie Podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and creative director of Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. Never once to keep our fingers far from the pulse, we saw a new release. We saw Ready Player One, directed by some up-and-coming filmmaker called Steven Spielberg. Joshua. get used to a bit of nostalgia because that that might happen a lot in this in this episode <laughs> of uh, Tornstones. so okay right so ready player one is basically impossible to introduce without waffling a lot because the world is there's a lot going on in this film and even the film itself spends about 10 minutes kind of introducing the world pre-title because um, it is enormous but basically this is it it's the year 2049 no it's not it's the year 2045 the world has become so shitty that the only way people can escape the drudgery of reality is by embracing virtual reality. So by entering into the Oasis, which is kind of like a massive operating system thing like a, that you plug into. It's a virtual world. It's a virtual world. Yeah. So by entering into the Oasis, they can basically become whoever they want, do whatever they want. You can explore like vast stretches of virtual space and just generally have an awesome time. Um, so that's the main pastime of orphaned teenager Wade Watts, played by um, Ty Sheridan. But mostly he's doing that because he wants to solve the puzzle that was left behind by the now deceased creator of the Oasis, uh, James Halliday, played by Mark Rylance. And whoever solves this puzzle inherits the company and therefore the literal keys to this virtual world, um, which is obviously going to kind of it, by getting the keys to the kingdom, you're going to rule the world. It's like Facebook kind, yeah. of, kind of thing. Um, but he's also going up against everybody else who is trying to solve these puzzles. Um, and he also has to beat corporate enemy Nolan Sorrento, played by Ben Mel- Mendelssohn, who runs a rival virtual reality company. <sighs> oh, <laughs> take a deep breath. And that is the problem, because... When the first 10 or 15 minutes of, of, of a film is exposition, alarm bells immediately ring in my head. I, I immediately think, well, why not just start the film earlier? Why not just show us all this stuff as opposed to just jumping on, having someone read the script and then continuing? Really does, it, it just makes me think you haven't really thought this through and you haven't taken the care and the attention that you should do especially on a project as large and global as this. Mm. So let's just address Steven Spielberg. Was he a part of your childhood? Oh, yeah, massively. Yeah, so films like E.T., Indiana Jones, you know, uh, all, all of his kind of, you know, the producing stuff like The Goonies, Poltergeist, all mm. that kind of stuff. I was raised on a, a steady diet of Spielberg, basically. Yeah, because I, I feel even before I thought about having a career in the arts the name that was most associated with feature filmmaking was Spielberg or as every person in my Jewish community growing up, they would always refer to him as Spielberg because (laughs) Spielberg isn't Jewish enough for you. (laughs) So Spielberg, Mr. Spielberg, as they would call him, whenever his new film came out, it was like an event. It's like there's a film coming out and it's got 
Peter Pan and Dustin Hoffman is Hook or there's Dinosaurs or he's done Schindler's List. He's doing a grown-up film or he's got a new Indiana Jones film coming out. It was like an event. Uh And that name... That name was like a, a stamp of approval. It was like you knew the shit was going to be good. Yeah, so it was like the magic name in movies. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, films like, for, for me, in the, you know, specifically, uh, had the Indiana Jones trilogy and Temple of Doom was always on TV. I mean, whenever someone said to me, oh, Indiana Jones is on, and you were like, oh, oh, Indiana Jones is on. But then you realise... Oh, it's only Temple of Doom. But even then, that was better than nothing. Yeah. No one really wants to watch Temple of Doom. But if it's on <laughs> and you've got nothing, you will watch it. Yeah. Jaws. Jaws. Jaws is a, film. is like, a, if, there's, if there's one film that, that kind of connects um, Generation X and Millennials, our generation, I think that's one of the films. There's like this big, there's like this big, like Venn diagram and in the middle is Jaws. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I, th- I think because it was made in the 70s and mm. the, the sequels carried on until the 80s, people will always go back and watch the first one. And that one was su- it's such a good film. And even when you know when the scares are coming, it's so fresh. Mm. And whenever that kid, the, the, the first kid um, who gets who gets chomped on his, his yellow uh, li- lilo, is that the float thing? On, on, he's like on a like a inflatable yeah, bed yeah, thing. Yeah. So he gets chomped on that. It's still a shock that fuck they put a dead kid in a movie. Yeah, I think because it has such a power, it it's it has a foot in both those generations. Um, and it continued into Back to the Future too as well, didn't it? With Jaws nineteen showing at the cinema. Shark still so. looks fake. <laughs> yeah. But Jurassic Park. Yeah, I'm always amazed that people are born after Jurassic yeah. Park. You know, yeah. there's before Jurassic Park and after Jurassic Park. Schindler's List, of course. I'm a Jew. Yeah. It was like in, in it was like expected viewing. And then obviously things that he didn't direct, but he had a very heavy hand in, Back to the Future, The Goonies, mm. uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. Things like that. And people's careers, like Robert Zemeckis wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um Tobe Hopper. Tobe Hopper, yeah. Tobe Hopper. Hopper. Um JJ Abrams. Yep. Wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Spielberg. Kathleen Kennedy wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for Spielberg. I don't think George Lucas would yeah. have the career that he's had post-Star Wars if it wasn't for Steven Spielberg. So his fingers were in a lot of pies in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, Animaniacs, uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's all this stuff that he is connected to. And he was the first name that... I associated with film before I got into film and realized there's people like Kevin Smith and John Hughes and John Landis and David Lynch and Stanley Kubrick, which we'll come back to in a Uh moment in this episode. But at one point, either I moved on or his filmmaking style or his priorities or his, his want for his career either waned or changed. And I think it's probably a little bit of both. But from about 2005 until only this year, whatever he put out, I just didn't care. Yeah, it's all just a bit forgettable, I think. like Completely forgettable. Lincoln, Bridge of Spies. Yeah, um, so, you know, in, in the past 10 or so years, he's put out War of the Worlds, which I found so dull. So, so dull. And a really bizarre decision to move it from Victorian England to <laughs> modern day Iowa or wherever it was. Yeah. 
Um, I actually didn't hate that film, and actually, I think it kind of you could you can rewatch that, and it's not. I actually think it's pretty solid. Like, there's some good yeah. stuff in there. Yeah, there is some good stuff in that film. I'll have to try and check it out again. Yeah, yeah. But Munich, I think, is one of his strongest films. That is ever. great, yeah. especially in the last twenty years. It's it's a solid. It's brutal as well. It's, it's really tense as anything. Really brutal and tense. Yeah. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we'll forget about. Gloss. Tintin, I missed because yeah. Tintin. It was all right. War Horse, I missed because it's a horse. I, got, I think I turned it off. I think I was made me sleepy. Uh, BFG, I didn't bother because I don't, right. I don't like Roald Dahl. But after the cinema the other night when we saw Ready Player One, I noticed it was on Netflix. I put the first 20 minutes on, turned it off. <laughs> Bridge of Spies was just too long, too much of everything. It was it was really quite bland and it didn't feel like a Spielberg. And that's mm. the problem. Mm. Nothing's feeling like Spielberg anymore. Yeah, There was, until, and you know, like I said, until this year, nothing had come out from him that I thought, oh, that's... That's Spielberg. Mm. You know that scene in Hook when it's, it's, it's later on and Banner, Peter Banner is on his knees and he's got, it's either the fat one or the little black one, the little lost boy, mm. f- f- like fingering around in his face yeah, looking yeah. for him and then he goes, ah, oh, there you are, Peter, I found you. Yeah. Watching the post and in particular a 20 minute section when um, Tom Hanks' character is waiting for a phone call from um, Meryl Streep's character and Tom Hanks and the other journalists are camped out at Tom Hanks' house and they've got the papers and there's a three-way conversation and there's all these, these camera movements and it's really tense and that was Spielberg. That's what I've been looking for since Munich. Mm. That, that Spielbergian sense of drama and taking an idea and a situation and elevating it to a cinematic level. Yeah. Not just going, here's a guy waiting for a phone call. Here's a guy waiting for a phone call (laughs) the phone call the most important phone call that's ever been made not just in his life but in everyone's life Mm. and it was a joy to watch it was a joy to think ah Stephen knows what he's doing again still got it Stephen's back but then we end up with this we end up with which on the surface on the surface looks like the next step for Spielberg doesn't it kind of it's like he's always He's always raised a bar and kind of dropped a pin in a certain thing. So like Jaws created the blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, Jurassic Park showed off exactly what ILM special effects were capable of. And he's always kind of done twisted, done a twist on film and, and Especially with science it. fiction. Yeah, exactly. So this seems like, yes, perfect. Right. If anyone can do yeah. virtual reality and do something this huge and ambitious with so much CGI... Um, post-Avatar, obviously. Um, this is the guy who's going to be able to do it. But also all these different IPs yeah. crisscrossing. It would, it would like, I, I always remember two things. One, around the time that Harry Potter came out, Spielberg was asked mm. why he didn't do it. And he said, because he was offered it, mm. as you would. And he said, it's just too easy for me to do something like that. It's not a challenge. Mm. It's not a challenge. I can't just do that. It's too easy. And another thing that I'm reminded of is the, the, the making of Roger Rabbit, it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the fact that Spielberg had the clout to walk into Disney and Warner Brothers and say, we need these characters and these characters and we need them in the same film. Let's make it happen. It's mm. going to happen. Robert Zemeckis, go and do your thing. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened with this is that he got all these incredible IPs because um, he, it was Spielberg. So you yeah. wouldn't say no to Spielberg unless, unless you're Jack Nicholson maybe because... 
Anyway, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll oh, get to that. I don't know the story. I'll wait, I'll wait to hear that one. But the fact that even he can't elevate this above mm. just being essentially a list of IP cameos, yeah, is a real shame. And I wonder if if the Spielberg who was making films in the eighties was given this in the eighties, or if he was here now. We would have a very, very different film. I think his his priorities have completely changed. I don't think he's necessarily making seventy five percent film, twenty five percent product anymore. Mm. I think he's definitely making seventy five percent product. And if he can get a bit of film in there, film is in not just in the physical film, but the idea of what visual storytelling is. It's difficult to think that the guy who made Jaws, the guy who made E. T the guy who made Schindler's List, who had, you know, the, the, the intelligence and the subtlety that is on display in Schindler's List until the very end. Um, and the guy who used the camera in such an amazing way in Jaws and the guy who, who, who took a, like, who took a puppet that looks like a scrotum and made us cry in E.T. <laughs> the guy who made those films made this... That's it. The thing is, with Ready Player One, you can see him really trying to ground everything, and he does it. He does do it in some very clever ways. So, so things like he does try to tie the virtual world into the real world, and he does it visually by um, the goggles that everyone wears during virtual reality. When we're seeing them in the real world, wearing the goggles actually reflected in the screen. Uh, on the goggles is the virtual world so it kind of very cleverly bridges those two worlds and it does ground it but also if if a group of people in the virtual world are running let's say from screen right to screen left Mm. he will cut to people running in the real world in their their virtual reality gear so there there is a link i guess visually between the, the reality world and here yeah, which is, he does it really well. And that's, that's old Spielberg. That's, that's proper Spielbergian technique that's very clever. And, and he, you can see him kind of trying to, to grasp at the emotion and grasp at the reality. Technique, yes. But... I don't know if the emotion and the visuals are there. Well, then, then he kind of, he disappears. He vanishes as soon as we're in the virtual world and it becomes the invisible camera and it just becomes impossible angles and it, and it becomes Bayhem. anything goes right. It becomes Bayhem and it stops being Spielberg. And you don't feel like you're watching a Steven Spielberg film, which is weird because a lot of the stuff that Mm. he's referencing, um, Iron Giant was a DreamWorks film, wasn't Mm. it? Yeah. His T-Rex shows up again, the DeLorean, all of this is in there and it doesn't feel like a Spielberg. It felt like late, like latter day, Polar Express era Zemeckis being okay. fucked in the mouth by Michael Bay. Yeah, and the sad thing is that when it, the only parts it really, really feels like Spielberg properly, it is in the the weirdly sentimental kind of not heart on sleeve, but heart literally smacking you in the face hmm. kind of moments, <laughs> like when um, Wade meets one of his virtual buddies played by Olivia Cook, when he meets her in the real world for the first time, they have this excruciating conversation on this rooftop where he basically says, I love you. Ah, yes. And she that. doesn't say, are you a fucking idiot? We've known each other for about a day. Um, it becomes this kind of really awkward and 
artificial moment where you it just you're like what like this doesn't make any it was sense like a love story was being shoehorned in it really was because it wasn't that it just wasn't the focus for anything in in mm. the story it, it felt like a list with a slight part weaved throughout it loses the film so have you read the book no have you yes so i read the book a few years ago and the book is very very much a quest film and it's about solving puzzles and it's about wade's um journey towards um, trying to solve this puzzle and the film doesn't know what it wants to be and it it does it jiggle it kind of juggles things around a bit in an effective way so he doesn't actually meet samantha in the book until the end oh really um, so he meets her halfway through in the film and that actually is a very smart move um they change things so so she gets kidnapped at the end in the film but in the book he is held captive right which is a slightly more troubling change um, but they do they move things around and I've forgotten what my point was because <laughs> um, it's so unfocused ironically yeah, <laughs> yes exactly that's the thing you just lose your thread so this film it, it doesn't know what it wants to be does it want to be about corporate corruption does it want to be about a teenager discovering his place in the world does it want to be about this love story does it want to be about solving puzzles does it want to be celebrating a virtual world or is it actually celebrating reality as the only thing that is real which is the kind of the mantra of the film yes and it's this massive hodgepodge of stuff that doesn't cohere into anything near as poignant or meaningful as it clearly wants to be visually i can't even think of a single visual image in this film that that I can take away when I think of Jaws I think of that kid getting getting chomped down in Schindler's I think of the train pulling into Auschwitz and I think of the girl in the red jacket Mm. in Jurassic Park I think of the T-Rex eye by the window Mm. when um, Lex is shining the torch Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I think of the kids opening the door and being mm. completely bathed in that light. Or even when the mothership drops down. Or the other ship at the beginning when he when it um, it looks like a car behind Richard Dreyfus, but it's not. It's actually the, the aliens. Mm. Saving Private Ryan, the whole opening 20 minutes. E.T., almost every image in that film. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's nothing here that I think... This is from a guy who understands the the wonder and the power in a very well-constructed frame to form what essentially could be you take that one single frame out and you put it on the wall mm. and that becomes the image that defines the film. There is no one single image or one single moment in this film that defines the entire film or defines the emotion that he wants to put across. It's because a very cold film in that respect. That's because none of the images are his. All of the images have been bought in from different companies. That's a very good point. <laughs> so they aren't, they aren't Spielbergian images. They are... Okay, are we going to address the Kubrick in the room? Because I was about is, to bring that up because yeah. you were sat next to me and you must have seen <laughs> me because that's the I think that's one of the only times because I I became physically like oh my god because they recreated the Overlook Hotel perfectly it I, it looked like they were on that set in Elstree in oh we should probably say we are seventy nine we're going to spoil this well they should be watching yeah. it anyway they know that <laughs> who would listen to a podcast about a film anyway without knowing the film. But we, but, but, but we know what we're talking about here is where the, char- the virtual reality characters enter into the Overlook Hotel in The Shining and mm-hmm. they basically find themselves caught up in 
the the narrative of The Shining to solve a puzzle. Yes, but they've recreated it perfectly. It's like being back on that stage in 1979, and it's pixels. It's just how did they pixels. do it? Is it actually pixels, or did they find a way to rebuild? I can't imagine they rebuilt. Did they the build stage that because the proportions are exactly the same? It looks, but it looks like they've taken the actual footage of like yeah, oh, yeah, they, they, they've treated it somehow. Yeah, but yeah. it looks gorgeous unless they've used um, old footage and digitally mapped themselves into it. Or whatever. Well, yeah, that's but what I imagine you know, the cameras are moving in ways that yeah, that Kubrick's didn't do a different angle. So yeah, I. I'm pretty. I mean, it's safe to say it's probably pixels, but it looks yeah. great. It that blew my. I nearly lost my shit in that scene because it was just kind of insanely. It was scary because obviously it's The Shining and that music comes in. Yeah, it's amazing, but it also it was hilarious. It, it was, was. Yeah, it was like a spoof. It was like something you'd watch on YouTube, where yeah, it's like a fan made film. It's like a fan made thing where, you know, is this was that Spielberg's kind of love letter to Kubrick? Because obviously there's the, the there's AI, AI yeah. connection. Yeah. Um, or is that him again saying, I'm going to shit all over your original story? Potentially. You can look at it either way. There will be yeah. people who go, he should not have touched that. Yeah. But then again, if he's, if he's touching every other IP available, and it is, the, is The Shining an IP? It's not a franchise. We're not suddenly going to have a, a sequel to that mm. version. I know there's a dr sleep film being made or at least in in development which mm. is the novelization which is the novel version uh, the novel sequel <laughs> stephen king's oh which is stephen king's sequel to his own novel <laughs> yes. but that moment that section of the film was the peak of the film for me that's when it came alive that's when yeah. it felt like there's actually a point there's a reason that this is a fun idea because they can go into these different IPs. Yeah, it's great. It can't just be... And, and the fact that it was like a haunted house and they were trapped and he was constantly going from room 237 to the corridor to the, uh, the maze and then being pulled out of the maze mm. by, by being pulled out of the walk-in refrigerator. Yeah, it was great. These are little these little. And there was like kind things. of like a, an almost cut scene where when he first sees the, the lifts, the elevators, you never see those girls walk into the elevator. No. So we see that in this film, which was a nice little touch. Yeah. To get them in there without having to concertine yourself into stupid shapes to to make it happen, you know, to go into different actual settings. Yeah, and um, the, the the haunted house element that you are trapped reminded yeah. me of the the section in it where they're trapped in that yeah. that rickety old house. So it's this real haunted house element. There was a genius way to use an IP and not just have it appear. Everything else in that film. Hmm. Why, like, why was he driving the DeLorean? What was the narrative point of that character having that car other than just for them to go, here's the DeLorean, you love the DeLorean, we've got the DeLorean back. I think the point of that is, is like just the wish fulfillment of the Oasis and how you, could, you, you understand why people find it so seductive to be inside this virtual world because you can drive a DeLorean, you can look like an orc if you want to. You can but, dress however you like. You can look however you like. But why? What? What is it about Wade that he wants the DeLorean? He's never. He never mentioned anything about. 
I love Back to the Future. I really identify with Marty McFly. <laughs> he didn't dress yeah. like him. When he was flipping through outfits, he didn't once yeah. dress like Marty McFly. He went from Buck, uh, what, a Buck Ride Bonsai he ended on. He went through Duran Duran, which was brilliant because that's not just Duran Duran. That's Nick Rhodes' leather catsuit, <laughs> like jumpsuit with army stripes from, yeah. um, from the Tel Aviv promo, <laughs> which was off the first album. Um, Jeez. I know, I know, my, I know my Duran Duran. Yeah, you do. Of all the references, I, I after the film, I wrote down as many as I could remember mm-hmm. because that is half the. I mean, there is a sense of fun to this film. It's not all. Yeah, we're being all we're disappointing. Being, we are being harsh about this film. I actually did enjoy it. I, I did kind of. It's two hours and twenty minutes, and I didn't actually feel until the last twenty minutes. I didn't feel that it was. You know, I, I actually felt quite involved in the world. Yeah. I didn't feel emotionally engaged at all really but i did enjoy the fun of the ride i think yeah forgettable well, it's, like, it's like a roller coaster you know yeah. you're on it for two minutes and then that's it right. but in terms of references this is what i picked up on um at one point the camera's panning through an office and on one of the screens you see elliot from et that hmm. scene um as a poster of the mayor of hill valley the, the oh, black yeah. mayor uh spawn was in one of the fights yeah. towards the end robocop was early on in the film the iron giant obviously for no reason um, I think there was some sort of mini battle droid from Endor, but it might have been the Clone Wars years, like from the cartoon, because it was it was white with brown, like orangey yeah. stripes. Um, the DeLorean, obviously. The Rubik's Cube, which yeah. is the Zemeckis Cube. <laughs> King Kong, T-Rex. Um, the scoreboard that they were using, the base of it, the underside of it, looked a little like the mothership from Close Encounters <laughs> and E.T. Very, very similar. Atari... And various other video games, but that's very integral to the plot, um, or lack thereof. There was a poster in uh, Mark Ryland's room, um, his like dream room at the end of Star Trek The Motion Picture um, poster, the one with like the rainbows on. Uh, the fourth one. Sorry? Is that, is that the fourth one? Fourth Star Trek? No, no, the motion picture, the first one. Oh, the first one. Oh, or okay. maybe it was the fourth one. Either way, it's quite, it's quite a famous one. It's like rainbows converging uh, yeah, down. Yeah. Um, the Batman logo was everywhere. Yeah. So Warner Brothers I probably got something planned with Batman because <laughs> they were. It was like an advert, and even Batgirl was in it. Was she? Yeah, very briefly, oh. like a, in a in a quick fight scene, as was Freddy, as was Jason. I loved all the horror stuff because they own New Line. Yeah, it's great. Like Chucky, when Chucky comes into it, that was brilliant. Say anything. The yeah. Cameron Crowe film, because he was holding up the, the ghetto blaster. That's really deep cut. Clark Kent. There was a Clark Kent moment. Yep. Um, the bad alien from Galaxy Quest. Oh, I didn't notice him. When, just before the Clark Kent moment, and the, the girl was pretending to be a large alien. Yeah. With the xenomorph bursting out of yeah. the chest. That was the, that was the bad guy from Galaxy Quest. Oh, I thought that looked familiar. With the funny head. Yeah, like the like green the claw head. He looked ever so slightly different in this film but it was the yeah. same character it was like a newer version huh. um thundercats belt buckle oh that's the one i was gonna say back to the future music cues yeah duran duran i've already put buckaroo bonsai prince outfit space invaders t-shirt chucky yeah was that f-bomb necessary when he goes no. it's fucking chucky stupid it was just it was wasted yeah use not something else the shining the 1966 adam west batman batmobile yes that was brilliant which was gorgeous yeah the red motorcycle that she was using in the race i'm pretty sure that's from akira oh yeah i think it is is it it was in the book yeah. and Wee herman's bike <laughs> which was just randomly there 
and it was a nice i don't remember that at all when they walk into the like the, the warehouse where the big the big ones like oh, i'm making the iron giant as they're walking uh, in yeah. by the door was Wee herman's bike uh, those are the ones i picked up on okay well i got a few others obviously um king kong did you say king kong i don't think you did uh, king kong was in there though yeah just before t-rex yeah um Saturday Night Fever, when they do their big dance oh, yes, routine. Oh, yes, yes. And she was wearing that. So the sexual politics in this film I found quite uncomfortable, where she is like this kind of ridiculously skinny. She's almost like a Barbie doll in, mm. in the virtual reality, Samantha. Um, what's her name? Artemis. She, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't understand why she was in these skin-tight kind of silky cat suits. It just... But that's the way she wants to be seen. I know. Because I just, in the real world, she's got that red wine port stain thing that on there. Beautiful birthmark <laughs> that is like the most beautiful birthmark you have ever seen. Obviously. And she's like, don't look at me. No, it's, <laughs> my whole life has been awful. It's like, love you. With that Jessica Rabbit hair falling that over. Beautiful it. hair, those beautiful eyes. It's like, come on. Anyway, so there was another one which was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, there were some turtles in there, yeah. But, but it was the, the newer new version, the Michael Bay version, yeah, not yeah. my version. Uh, and Jack Slater was playing at the cinema. Yes, there was. Yeah. Yes, yes. Shout out to Torn Stubbs episode of Last Action Hero. <laughs> and then I got very tired and stopped making the list because it just <laughs> was too much to think about. Um, yeah, I think the references and all that stuff, it's it's come at a good moment because nostalgia has, has become a, a commodity and everyone's doing it, you know, Stranger Things. Mm. Um, even Super 8 did it back in 2000 and whatever it was when that came out 10 years ago yeah was it 2008 something uh, like that I can't remember yeah it's roughly about it's been about yeah. 10 years but so nostalgia is like this big thing and so this this feels like Spielberg is doing King Kong like wading in just like clump clump like wading into the nostalgia debate and arguably kind of killing the trend dead because yeah. where do you go after this um, yeah, where do you go when you become so fully aware that you know yeah. you're putting in the references and it's, yeah. it's however integral to the storyline. Yeah. If a character knows that he is jumping in the DeLorean because it's from Back to the Future, not a case of, you know, like the whole Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. campaign was based around 80s sci-fi movies, but the film didn't feel like that. Yeah. So where do you go from there? Would this film have been more effective if the Lego movie hadn't come out a few years ago and basically done something very, very similar? But at least there was a a strong storyline. Lego movie's great. In that film, you felt like there were consequences and there was actual danger. Here, the structure feels very flat. Mm. You can't... You know, often people say, I I love that film. I couldn't work out where it was going to go. And that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Most of the time. But in this one, I couldn't work out where it was going to go because I don't think they really fully understood themselves. Mm. It's like you said, there was so much going on, all these different threads, and they, were, they weren't tying together too well. Mm. And when it got to the, 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 like, the final end of the film where they go, well, we've got to go get out, I was like, here comes the pixels, even more pixels. Mm. Than, and of course, the big battle scene where everyone's involved. Yeah, all was, the oh. so-called rebels. Like the the real world fascinated me more in that film than the virtual reality world. Mm. Why was the government so bad? 
what what exactly were the 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 bandwidth riots and the 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 corn syrup shortages what's that <laughs> what's that all about and yeah. why do they need the rebels like welcome to the rebellion who were they rebelling against because the government didn't seem that militant the police were driving around in like electric renault renault you know like renault clios or whatever they were and the only bad people i could see was um was rogue one bad guy uh, oh yeah what's his name ben mendelsohn um who's australian apparently yeah didn't know that no didn't know that because he introduced the film with spielberg and the kid Wade and um, he was like, "You're gonna bloody love this film. <laughs> bloody love it, you will." Um, but why was he the only bad guy that we had to worry about? He's just a company. I, well, I, 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 know, I mean, and, the book explains it better. Okay, but was the was the know. book full of all these different references and and a thousand more besides? Yeah, like in so in the in the book, um, the final task that Wade has to get through is he has to reenact scenes from monty python's holy grail but he has to do it like verbatim <laughs> no word for way. word well that's and, that's uh, almost like it's not almost like a scene in in monty python where they're trying to get across <laughs> the bridge and they have to say certain something otherwise they get the troll oh uh, maybe like, i can't throws them into the pit or they get yeah it's been so long since i saw that film it's the shining section in the book no that's new okay and there was another section where he has to reenact scenes from uh, Ferris Bueller as well. In the book. In the book. Yeah, I might, so, I might give the book a read then. The book is good. You can borrow it. I did enjoy it. I've got a copy at home. I, huh. I gave, it to, gave it to a family member, but he doesn't read. <laughs> so what's the point in buying him books? Like the film, the first 50 or so pages of the book are super heavy world building. Like yeah. really, really dense. Like well, really well written, but super dense, and you have to really pay attention. But as soon as he gets that first key, it's a great, great read. You, you can read it like that. It's just great. Going back to this world, and the thing that I just didn't understand was how hugely the world had embraced nostalgia and the '80s specifically. How everyone seemed to love the '80s in this film, and how yeah, only ev- the '80s. Yeah, it was yeah. bizarre, and like. So some of the flashbacks that we see of James Halliday, they are 2025 or something around there. Yeah. And everything looks like it came out of the 80s. Like he's got these kind of really brightly colored over baggy shirts yeah. on. He's got the curly hair and he just looks like he's from the 80s. They're using fat keyboards and fat It's computers. really weird. It's really bizarre and actually a bit confusing. Is it like that in in the book that everything is is 80s yeah they, they do kind of explain it i can't remember what the explanation was but visually it was just a bit like what no like you don't go that but is that a filmmaking decision because yeah everyone seems to be loving the 80s at the moment which yeah. is fine because you know that's my childhood that's our yeah. childhood oh, we I grew up it. with that stuff so it's, oh yeah like it's, this was made for it's us massively yeah it's massively nostalgic for for people of our age even things like the boardroom uh look like the boardroom out of robocop yeah. It's just great, that kind of dark... And the fact that someone's playing with a fucking Rubik's Cube. Yeah. It's brilliant. That was cool. I like that, the, the Zemeckis Cube that turns back time 60 seconds. That was brilliant. <laughs> and the fact that it was called Zemeckis. Yeah. I really wish that I'd loved it more. I actually liked it more than I was expecting. Yeah. But... I think we both felt that, because I think we both felt that when we came out of, of the IMAX. Yeah. I just kind of went along for the ride, really enjoyed it. It's not a classic. It's fun, unfocused well-meaning 
um visually dazzling like it is it looks amazing and it has that shining centerpiece at its heart that is what it's going to be defined by i think that's the bit that everyone's going to be talking about but even with that you are just always reminded that this is not a kubrick film you want to watch this is not made by kubrick this is made by spielberg who is no longer spielberg with a capital s he's Mm. spielberg with a small lowercase s yeah he is spielberg and it's culture eating itself yeah it's culture coming up against some kind of glass wall not finding new ways to develop and therefore turning inward and trying to take old things and make them new put them through a new prism and that's i guess what virtual reality is it's taking our reality and forming it in a different way or giving us access to parts of the world that we don't have or where do you think this film sits in his canon i I think this sits around hook i think it's a massive (laughs) massive massive idea yeah like which i loved as a kid so i probably would have loved this as a kid as well that was gonna be my next point if this is if this is his new hook that has such a massive 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 world and all this information but it just doesn't quite reach it as a film Uh if if i was a kid now looking at this film i'd be like fuck me look at all this great shit i better go back and watch all this yeah yeah, that's the thing. Do Would kids these days actually get all of the references that we got? They'd get stuff that we didn't like. No, no, I don't think they like, were. There's certain games in there. I had no idea what the fuck was oh, going on. Oh, the games on. stuff. Yeah. Definitely. Like when I was, I, I was photographing at Comic-Con last year. Um, not officially. I was just outside grabbing people for... Loitering. You know, take, take their portrait. But a lot of them, I just didn't understand who the characters were. And yeah. there was this one kid, I can't remember who... I can't remember who he was, but he had a, he had blue overalls on, blue dungarees with like a checkered shirt and a, a yellow um, hard hat. Uh-huh. So to me, he was either a doozer, that my doozer from Fraggle Rock, the oh, yeah. ones, or Bob the Builder. So I was like, it's <laughs> oh, great you've come as Bob the Builder. And he took such offense and said, no, I'm, and he, insert, he said the name of whichever character. I'd never heard of the fucking character. They were all... I don't know why they call it Comic-Con anymore. It should be Computer Game Con. But it's not the same <laughs> ring to it, does it? Video Con. Video Con. That's a sense. cool name. Yeah, go to Video Con. VidCon. Oh, the VidCon's already a thing. It's uh. a YouTube convention. Um, but yeah, a lot of it, I think they would understand the, the computer game IPs, but in terms of the movie references, no, you're right. It's for people our age, people who grew up on those. You can't be nostalgic about something if you didn't know it in the first place. Yeah, like this film is just a giant Easter egg packed full of more Easter eggs. I think when eventually Spielberg dies and they look back on his films, I don't think this one's going to be mentioned ever. I think it will. I think it's a curio. I think it's a, it's Spielberg kind of taking a step in a weird direction. Just in general, in like the, that the obituaries the day after, it won't say mm. Ready Player One director. It would say E.T., Indiana Jones, Schindler's List director, has died. Yeah, yeah, of course. This one won't be... Like, if they did a, a, a ten, 10 of the best Spielberg selection for Somerset House and you vote which one you want to yeah. see, like they did with Kubrick, this won't be in there. I mean, it, do you know what, though? It's A lot of reviewers have loved it. It's done, it's done really well critically. I've seen a lot of bad reviews. Okay, maybe it's... I think it's a Marmite film. It's a Marmite, it a Marmite it's film. A Marmite film. It's my mate film. I'd rather watch this, which is a director in his kind of older years revisiting his 
previous projects with a sense of joy and kind of optimism and all of that. I'd rather watch this than watch Ridley Scott make another Alien film where he is just burying his franchise, his, yeah. his kind of iconic stuff. He's dinging them up and just setting fire to the bones. Yeah. You know, and like Prometheus, awful. Alien Covenant, even worse. And he was thinking about doing another two. Ugh. I'd rather watch Ready Player One that at least has a sense of joy and wonder about it than Alien, which is just an abomination. <laughs> So that was Ready Player One, directed by Steven Spielberg. What did you think? Let us know on Twitter, at TornStubPod. We love hearing your thoughts on the podcast app, so drop us a review, drop us a five-star rating. We would appreciate that very much. We're off to the Oasis. I've got my DeLorean. What are you going to drive? What car oh would you drive? God, what would I drive? Actually, I would drive the 1966 Batman Mobile. All right, I don't really want DeLorean because we saw it driving away from the cinema the other night and it was really loud. It was really loud, wasn't it? A bit clunky. What yeah. would I drive? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like the Scooby-Doo mystery van or something. Because like, you have a lie down. That's not very aerodynamic. You're in a race. Maybe you can have a little lie down if you get a bit tired. And a smoke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut.